welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Grant. Let's get into the next episode of Johnny Dollar, where he solves a crime in Los Angeles. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. What are you doing lying around the hospital? This is Dave Blaine, Johnny. Are you here in Los Angeles? No, I'm in Boston still. What happened? I was with Mrs. Parsons this afternoon, trying to find out what happened to her husband. She missed a turn in the road. How is she? Is she all right? She was killed, Dave. Oh, good Lord. Johnny, what can I do to help? Nothing, Dave. Nothing much to do now. Parsons is back, and... Well, now he's back, I'll wrap it up. Johnny? What is it, pal? She was a pretty nice person, Dave. I saw her die. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Eastern Casualty and Trust Company, number 25 Yardley Boulevard, Boston, Massachusetts. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Calicles matter. Item 3, 26 cents for a package of cigarettes which the night nurse at St. John's Hospital bought for me. She also brought in a sedative. That was the last thing I remembered until about 5 o'clock in the morning. Look out! Look out! Mr. Dollar! Look out. Mr. Dollar. Look out. Hey, here. Oh. You've got a bad dream. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Well, you just lie down. You, you. You need some rest. Yeah. Can I get yeah. you anything, Mr. Dollar? Some water? No. No, sister. No, no, thank you. What's your name? I'm Sister Amadea. You. You weren't here when they brought me in. No. Now you just go back to sleep. Uh, sister, wait. Yes? I'd like to talk to you about it. Of course. You mean the accident? Yes, yes, uh, all of it. I, I'd feel better. Well, we want you to do that, certainly. I came to Los Angeles for an insurance company back east. Mm-hmm. We had a report that a big executive in a stock firm out here was missing. I see. A man named David Parsons, junior partner with his father in the stock and bond business. Oh, yes, I've heard of the Parsons family. I talked to a man named Ecker... Old Mr. Parsons' secretary. Mm-hmm. Ecker took me out to see the old man. He was pretty nasty. Wouldn't talk much about his son being gone for ten days. Then I met David Parsons' wife. I told her I thought the matter should go to the police. She agreed with me. But later on this afternoon out by the ocean, she said she expected him to come back. She called the house, and they said David Parsons had come back. Oh. It was a strange afternoon, sister. I mean, we sat in the sand and talked about these things. I could have fallen in love with her. Maybe I did. I'll never know. Sister Amadea. Oh, Mr. Dollar, you're more shaken up than you think. Really, you should... I'll never get used to things like this. Now you just sleep, Mr. Dollar. Go on now, go to sleep. 
The world becomes very heavy sometimes. I just go to sleep. Item four, $14.95, one night in the hospital. When I got back to the Beverly Hilton, I bought a copy of the morning paper, ordered some lunch, and sat down to read about my accident. An unidentified woman was killed. An unidentified man was slightly injured in a car crash on Sunset Boulevard the afternoon before. No names, no details, no nothing. Strange. But even stranger was the appearance of Robert Ecker, old man Parsons' secretary at my door. Then I didn't know why his eyes were red-rimmed. Hello, Dollar. How do you feel? Oh, all right now, I guess. Come in. This whole thing's pretty terrible, Dollar. I, I just stepped up to see how you feel. Is, is there anything I can do for you? No, no, nothing, thanks. Mr. Parsons wanted you to know that he's concerned for you. Tell him I'm okay. How are things there? Young Mr. Parsons is pretty broken up. He's really back then. Oh, yeah. Well, then, I'm just about through out here. Could I see him? Mr. Parsons thought you'd want to. Yes. Expense account, item eight, $178, airplane ticket, back to Hartford. Item nine, $43, hotel and board for two days in Los Angeles. Item ten, $6, cab fare. My plane was scheduled to leave at nine o'clock that night. I checked out about four in the afternoon and went directly to the home of David Sr. He looked a little ashen when I came in, but his temper hadn't improved much. He pointed a crooked finger at me. I've got this to say to you right now, Dollar. If you hadn't insisted on talking to her, she'd be alive today. She wouldn't have been with you driving that car. If she hadn't been forbidden by you to see me, we wouldn't have had to drive around in a car. You have a drink around here? Right there. I didn't come here to argue with you anymore. My job was to find your son. Evidently, he wasn't lost. Ecker told me I could meet him here about this time. You're pretty free with my whiskey. You can afford it. You want one? Oh, I got a jigger before every meal, that's all. Cheers. Well, am I early or what? David will be here any time now. Have any arrangements been made yet? You'll have to ask uh, Ecker about that. I don't know. I'd like to send some flowers, something. That's always the logical gesture. This is Mr. Dollar, David. Come in. It's my son, David. The man in the black suit wasn't what I expected in the way of David Parsons, Jr., somehow. He was tall and rangy, almost athletic. He had a good sunburn, a pair of square shoulders. I would have read him for an advertising man or a pro ball player. Certainly not for the investment brokerage business. We shook hands. He smiled wanly and lit up a cigarette. Dad tells me you've been looking for me. That's right, Mr. Parsons. Where have you been all this time? Oh, I took a freighter out of Los Angeles and rode it up to Oregon. Just a whim. Wanted to be alone and do some thinking. How come no word? Oh, that's a whim, too. Are you trying to get into my personal life? No, no. Just curious again. Well, here's some reports I have to make out. If you'd sign them, I'd appreciate it. Go ahead, sign them. Let them go. Sure, sure. I have a pen. Okay. Fine. Thank you. Satisfied, Dollar? Completely. Uh, what ship did you take up there? Ship? Uh, the boat to Oregon. Oh, the, uh, Laureen B. Wintermaker Timber Company ship. Oh, sure. Well, I'm glad you're okay. Thank you for your cooperation. I went
Went back to my hotel, checked in once more, canceled my airline reservations, and put in a call to Robert Ecker. He wasn't in his office. A little arguing got me his home number. No one answered. I went out and spent $25, item eight, to rent a car. I drove it over to Ecker's apartment address. He wasn't in, so I waited. A half an hour later, he drove up, ran into his apartment for about a minute and a half, came back out, and got into his car. When he pulled into traffic on Wilshire, I was one Buick behind him. He finally stopped at a place on Olympic Boulevard, the Parkway Funeral Home. I waited five minutes and then walked in. Robert Ecker stood in a semi-dark room, hands folded before him as if in prayer. He was looking down at the body of David Parsons' wife. Hello, Ecker. Hello. Came by to pay my respects. Sure. Who is she, Ecker? What was that? Who is this girl? She isn't Dorothy Parsons, I know that much. Who is she? <laughs> we better talk about this. Yeah. Yeah, we better talk. Her name's Ellen. Her name was Ellen Myers. We're going to be married. I'm sorry. She was one of those lonely people that you find in this town. I mean, she worked a bit in pictures and drew and painted a little bit. I don't know how I met her. I just know that she was fresh and lovely and she'd do anything for me. Or for old man Parsons. For me. She was mine. Everything else is his. She was mine. He blew up the other morning when I called up and said you were in town looking for David Jr. He said we had to steer you out. He didn't want you talking to anybody. So he arranged that she'd be there posing as Mrs. Parsons? He asked me to get someone. She was delighted with the idea. It was kind of a little game for her. Where's the real Mrs. Parsons? Home, I guess. I don't know. I'll find that out. Now... Tell me who's the guy I shook hands with this afternoon who said he was David Parsons, Jr. I don't know his name. Someone the old man hired to play the part for. Then David Parsons is still missing. Yeah. Why all the cover-up? Why doesn't the old man want him found? He does want him found. He wants him found in the worst way. He's been turning the country upside down looking for him for a week now. There's something like 23 operatives from a private detective firm looking for him, but he doesn't want it to go to the police. Wants it out of the papers at all costs. Why? Parsons is going to merge with Little and Tennyson. You've heard of them? Yeah. The old man's got to take it easy. Heart attack. Parsons Jr. will get into the saddle when the merger happens. He'll take over the whole play. That is, of course, with the old man sitting down in Palm Springs dictating orders to him. In other words, old man Parsons wants his figurehead to be on deck clean and unsullied for the merger. That's it. What do you think happened to Junior? I don't have any idea. What happens to any of us who work for Parsons? We give him lip at first, we get mad at him. In the end, he shakes out all the dignity and honesty you might ever have, and he makes you his own personal robot. Look at me, Dollar. He got me to make my girl play all that out in front of you. Now she's dead, and I'm still a robot for him. Take it easy. And sure. How did you get on to Junior? Oh, he didn't look broken up. He was a pretty bad actor. He also gave some wrong answers about being off on a ship and so on. 
Hey, look. You don't have to say anything about talking to me. Oh, but I will. I'll tell Parsons you pumped it all out of me. We'll worry him a bit. He'll figure out some other way to stop you. I told you once before, darling. He'll break your heart. Johnny Dollar. Ready with your Crestview number, Mr. Dollar. Good. Yeah? Mr. Parsons? Who's this? Johnny Dollar. What are you doing in town? Still looking for your son, Mr. Parsons. You met him yesterday. He's been found. He wasn't lost. So I what? met the man you hired to convince me that he was your son. I know he isn't. Listen, if you're going to make trouble... I will if I have to. I have that guy's signature on two papers in my briefcase. It constitutes a witness forgery, no matter how you look at it. I'd be willing to call up a lawyer and see what kind of noise I can make. What do you want? I'll be out to tell you in 20 minutes. <laughs> Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Eastern Casualty and Trust Company, number 25 Yardley Boulevard, Boston, Massachusetts. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Calicles matter. Expense account item 9, $100, legal retainer. I hired an attorney named Robert Watson to arrange for a court order impounding all the records in the Parsons brokerage house. I also turned over to him the forged reports. After that, I drove out to see Parsons, still laid up in bed. Who spilled the beans? You did, mainly... I didn't believe that guy here yesterday afternoon. I didn't believe the woman who was supposed to be his wife. So let it go at that. I'm here to find David Parsons, Jr. Let's stop playing games. Don't get fresh with me, boy. I've crunched many a loud talker just like you. You want me to walk out of here and start jamming up your works right now, or do you want to listen? You've botched up everything so far. Do I handle it, or do we keep on like this? I'm going to kill you when I get on my feet. In the meantime, you're going to lie there and like it. I came out here to find your son. You arranged to throw me off his trail by hiring a woman to play his wife and a man to appear and pretend he was your son. Let's take it from there. I understand you've had private detectives looking for him all over the country. What agency? Universal Operators. Who's in charge of it there? A man named Underwood. Have they got any leads? Nothing. Nothing for 12 days. Did he take anything? I don't know. We haven't made an audit. Well, there'll be an audit. I've got the machinery started right now. Who do you think... Shut up and lie down or you'll bust a blood vessel. Is Mrs. Parsons in town? I sent her down to Palm Springs. All right, it's 10.15 now. If I remember right, there's a plane from Palm Springs about noon. Call her there and tell her I'll be at her house at 2 o'clock. I want to talk to her. Are you giving me orders? I sure am. I want everybody in that household there. 2 o'clock, you arrange it. I'll arrange nothing for you. Now get out of here. Call who you have to call. 2 o'clock, Mr. Parsons. I left him fuming on the phone and drove my rented car downtown to the offices of Universal Operatives Incorporated. Mr. Underwood, the man in charge of finding David Parsons, Jr., shook my hand and told me he could report nothing to me about the case. I asked him to phone old man Parsons, which he did. That changed his mind. He broke down and gave me an hour-long story on what they'd done to locate the missing man. When he was finished, it came out the same way. They'd run into blank walls everywhere. They had no idea where David Parsons might be. I told Underwood he and his staff were fired and that Mr. Parsons would confirm it. I left him fuming on the phone. 
Expense account item 10, $4. Two drinks and lunch all alone. After that, I drove over to the residence of David Parsons, Jr. Mrs. Parsons was a tall, graceful woman in her late 30s, settled on a sofa in front of the fireplace. The clothes she was wearing, the house itself, the appointments of the formal room, all suggested a well-run, well-kept sort of life. I've answered so many questions from those private detectives. I'm sorry to put you through it all again. You must operate in a rather high-handed manner, Mr. Dollar. My father-in-law expressly told me the point here is not to let any of this get into the papers. The point here is to find your husband, Mrs. Parsons. He's been missing 12 days now. Well, I suppose I was the last one to see him. It was after dinner. He went upstairs. I didn't see him after that. This would be... The 13th. Yes, it was. Did he sleep here that night? His bed had been slept in, yes. Then he really disappeared sometime on the 14th. I suppose that's accurate. He wasn't in his office that day. Did he take a car? No. But I know the private detectives checked the cab companies He to could see have flagged one two blocks away. How about clothes? Did he pack anything? Not a thing. Money? I don't know. Okay. Can you think of any enemies who might want to harm your husband? Enemies? Oh, dear, no. Think a minute. Well, perhaps in his office, in his business, there's someone... But he never discussed what went on there with me. Mm -hmm. Are you sure? It was a rule. This is our home. That is David's business. We just never talked about what went on in his office at all. How long have you and Mr. Parsons been married? Eighteen years next July. Have you been getting along? Of course we've been getting along. We've gotten along always. Ever discussed the probability of divorce or anything like that? Certainly not. Can you think of any reason why Mr. Parsons would just walk out and not come back? None whatsoever. Have the people in his office been worried about him? Well, I believe Mr. Ecker's the only one who knows. The others think he's away on a business trip. In other words, the whole thing's been kept quiet. Why, oh, yes, of course. This merger situation is quite delicate. As you Mrs. know, Mrs. Parsons, were you very close to him? I beg your pardon. Don't beg my pardon. Just answer the question. Everybody seems to be worried about a merger, not about a man. Did you spend time together, do things together? Well, of course. We entertained frequently, we traveled, we had common interests. What? Well, home, of course. What else? I don't know what you mean. Did you enjoy each other, go out together, have fun? Oh, really? <sighs> Did he have a hobby? Well, yes, sort of. David liked to read and write a little... He fancied himself a scholar along some lines. What lines? Literature. Of course, it was just an indulgence. Where did he indulge himself? He had a small study upstairs. Would it be possible to look at that room? Oh, yes, I suppose so. All right, I'll get to that in a minute. Mr. Parson, drink very much? Cocktails before dinner, maybe two or three after. Ever any long drinking jobs on the town? David never went off and drank. If that's what you're trying to find out. Oh, that's what I'm trying to find out. Is he in good health? Yes. Perfect, I think. What's the name of his doctor? Oh, uh, Stanley Warner, Dr. Warner. Okay. How about his attitude? What do you mean? What kind of man is he? Quiet, loud, what? Oh, I'd say David is, and always has been, a very quiet person. Like his work? Of course, he loves it. His home? I'm terribly afraid there's a great deal of insinuation in these questions you ask, Mr. Dollar. What have you been doing in Palm Springs? Resting. Got a boyfriend? Mr. Dollar. Have you? I resent that very much. Naturally, with my husband here, I go out with friends there. David knows about it. 
He have a girlfriend? You're being ridiculous. No, you're being ridiculous. What? You sit here and describe the kind of association a man has with a drug clerk who sells him cigarettes, and you call it a marriage. Your husband disappears from the face of the earth, and you romp off to Palm Springs, forgetting all about it. You're insulted when I ask you what's wrong. You're hurt when I ask you how come, and you're annoyed when I mention it. What on earth do you want me to do? File a missing persons complaint right away. Get some help in here if it isn't too late. Too late? It could be, lady. It just could be you and your father-in-law have fooled around too long. She made the call. A half an hour later, two detectives from the Missing Persons Bureau were out here gathering facts. I tagged along. They questioned Mrs. Parsons, the servants. They examined the study as well as his bedroom. From all they could gather, David Parsons had nothing but the clothes on his back when he disappeared. By mid-afternoon, the police had started on old man Parsons and gone downtown to question the members of David Parsons' office force. The district attorney moved in quickly and negated my court order, impounding the books and records for a careful audit to determine if any money or bonds were missing. They promised to keep me informed. I went out on my own. Come in, please. Dr. Stanley Warner had a four-suite office on Wilshire Boulevard. He was a big graying man who looked as though he played a lot of golf and drank a lot of whiskey when he had the chance. I told him about Parsons being missing and asked for some details. Well, according to my records, I examined him the first of last month. He was in good health. Excellent for a man of his age and responsibility. Could you explain that, Doctor? No, I was thinking only by comparison. David Parsons is 40 years old. He's held a position of tremendous responsibility for many years. For a lesser man or for a frailer man, the incidence of organic disturbance in this age area increases considerably. David Parsons' case, that didn't seem to hold true. Doctor, are you talking about the pressure from his father? You know the old man. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about that, yes. He, he cracked up a lot of people. How do you suppose David Jr. escaped? He knew how to escape, at least for periods of time, get a complete rest. Was there any indication or any reason whatsoever when you examined him to suspect that he might suffer from some sort of uh, mental trouble? No. I'd say that when I examined him, he was in excellent mental shape, too. I see. Did you ever meet him outside the office? Socially? Yeah. Yes. Both belong to the same country club. Played golf with him several times. Seen him at dances, other affairs. Mm -hmm. He and Mrs. Parsons strike you as a happy couple? I'll answer that by saying that happiness is uh, intangible. I envied him, though. Not because of his wife, you understand. But because with all the, with all the requirements that were made of him, he was still a gentle, decent man... You ever appear with other women? Not that I know of. Did you ever have occasion to talk with him with his hair down? Once. <laughs> Startled me at first. I was aware that he was a man of education and culture, but I was quite taken aback by his ability to quote the classics. Seemed incongruous somehow. I remember this day we, we met in the club. We had a drink. I don't think anyone was there except the waiters. I was talking to him, and suddenly he dropped off the conversation. He stared ahead, and then he began to quote a Greek, Callicles. Callicles? Yes. I was so impressed by the passage, I took the trouble to look it up myself and write it down. I have it. Yes. Here. I can still see him quoting that word for word. Read it. But if there were a man who had sufficient force... He would shake off and break through and escape from all this. Go on, will you, please? He would trample underfoot all our formulas and spells and charms 
and all our laws which are against nature. The slave would rise in rebellion and be lord over us, and the light of natural justice would shine forth. When did Parsons quote this to you, Doctor? Uh, Monday, the day before he disappeared. Johnny Dollar. David Parsons. Did you read the morning paper? Yep. It's spread all over them. My son missing. I've had calls from New York all morning long. The business merger's jeopardized, and it's your doing. Anything else to say? When I finish with you and your liability company, there won't be enough left to burn for junk. Mr. Parsons, before you shoot off any more steam, do you want me to give the papers the other half of the story? The one about you arranging for people to impersonate your son and his wife? Are you threatening me? I guess I am. Why, you... Why? Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Eastern Casualty and Trust Company, Boston, Massachusetts. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Calicles matter. Item 11, 10 cents, one newspaper. I lied to Parsons about seeing the paper. I hadn't seen it at all. But I could guess what had happened when they got hold of the story that a prominent broker had been missing some 14 days. It was all there, spread over the front page. I waited a couple of hours before I took old man Parsons on again. You think you're pretty smart, don't you? You should have given this matter to the police in the first place. I gave it to a detective agency. And what do you mean by firing them? Oh, they were just spending your money. And you're losing it for me with all this in the paper. I'm still trying to find your son, Mr. Parsons, remember? You aren't going to find him here. Something's come up. Maybe you can explain it. The DA's office impounded the books yesterday. $5,000 was withdrawn from your son's personal account. What do I have to explain about that? Wait. It was taken out the morning he disappeared. Do you have any idea why he'd withdraw a sum of money that size? No. Do you? Sure. Somebody could have been standing in back of him with a gun, threatening to blow his head off. He might have had a date to go to a wedding and needed some tip money. What can you add? <laughs> You're getting mad, Dollar. Go find your answers someplace else. You don't care if he's ever located, do you? Dollar, let me tell you something. My son means that to me. No more. He's never had brains enough or energy enough to do anything by himself. I do everything, always have. The only reason I want him back is to affect the merger with Little and Tennyson. You knew that right away. I suppose so. I just wanted to hear it said to believe it. Well, now you've heard me say it. <laughs> you know, one reason why I always run the show, Dollar, my face never looks like yours over anything. I got out of there fast. I went downtown with a tall policeman named Jerry Engel to interview a bank teller. I'm Sergeant Engel. This is Mr. Dollar. Oh, yes, you phoned me. It's about Mr. Parsons. You took care of him when he came in here last Tuesday a week ago, is that right? I handled the withdrawal, yes. We'd like to see the slip on that, please. Yes, I, I looked it up. I have it ready for you. Have you known Mr. Parsons very long? Well, I don't know him well, really. Look at this picture. This man is the same who signed the withdrawal slip last Tuesday morning? Yes, that's Mr. Parsons. Okay. Tell us what happened. Well, he just came up to the cage and handed me the withdrawal slip. That's all. I see. Weren't you a little surprised when he made out a withdrawal slip for $5,000? That's a lot of money. Well, maybe I was a little surprised, but Mr. Parsons has withdrawn large sums from his personal account several times. I always assumed it was some sort of speculation where he needed cash on hand. When he came up to the cage to you, what exactly did he say? Oh, just 
good morning or, or something like that, and then will you please take care of this? Didn't he stipulate how he wanted the money? Oh, yes, yes, he did say that. I'm sorry. He took it mostly in hundreds and fifties. Any of these bills happen to be recorded? No, Sergeant. Uh-huh. Anything else you can remember about the transaction that might help? Sorry, nothing. Well, well, maybe. Yeah? Well, you both know the kind of business Mr. Parsons is in. I mean, well, it seems like a hurried sort of business. Always phone calls, rushing, and so on. He was always, always like that, it seemed to me. He'd come in here, do what he had to do, and rush out. Very brisk, you know. But that morning, he didn't seem in a hurry at all when he left. I mean, I had the distinct feeling that Mr. Parsons didn't particularly care in what direction he went. A recheck with Mrs. Parsons and the house servants established that Parsons had not left the house with the described money bag. The police went to work on that angle, trying to find out where he had purchased it. A supplementary bulletin went out with the news about the bag. The district attorney's men were trying to find out if he was involved with another woman, and if so, who. Parsons was reported to be in Toledo, Detroit, the Virgin Islands, and Boston. All the reports were untrue. Yeah, officer, that's him. That's the guy who was in here that night. You sure? Well, I'm positive that's his picture. Was he with anybody? Yeah, he was all alone. He sat over there on that stool. How long was he here? Oh, he was here till we closed the joint. Did you happen to see where he went from here? No. Now, what kind of shape was he in? Drunk? No, no, he was real sober and quiet. Drank all night, but he seemed to hold his stuff okay. Did you talk to him at all? No, just took his order for drinks. He didn't seem to want to talk to anybody. I see. Did you happen to notice if anybody who was in here went over and talked to him? I think a couple of people tried. You know, you get that sort of thing in a joint like this. But he didn't say much to any of them, so they just left him alone. He just sat alone and drank? No, he was making a phone call all the time. He was here, a long-distance call from the booth over there. He sat at the end of the bar so he could hear the phone ring. How do you know he was making a long-distance call? Well, he handed me a 20 once and asked me to change it to quarters for him. All the quarters I had. About what time was this? Oh, I don't know exactly, but it, it took him two or three hours anyway. Do you know if he ever completed his call? He poured a lot of dough into the phone. I guess he did, finally. Did he have anything with him while he was here? What do you mean? Was he carrying a little black bag, maybe? Yeah, nothing but his overcoat. I... Yeah. What? He did say something to me at that. Uh, he asked me if I knew Callicles. Callicles? Yes, Sergeant. Uh, he was about three bourbons along by then. Mean anything? I've heard about that before, Jerry. Callicles was a Greek. Parsons quoted him to his doctor once. Something about a man breaking through and shaking off his chains. A pretty piece of poetry. Poet? I thought he was a bookie. Oh, excuse me. Well, Jerry, one thing for sure. Yeah, what? We know he was alive that night. Jerry Engel started a check with a telephone company. Their records disclosed that David Parsons had placed a call from the pay booth in the bar on the night in question. It had been a person-to-person call to a Kenneth Temple in San Francisco. We tried to place a call to the same number, but there was no answer. We waited another two hours trying to complete the call, and the operators were still trying when we drove out to the Parsons residence once more. Mrs. Parsons gave us a cool greeting. I certainly don't appreciate any of this. You're responsible, Mr. Dollar, for all this publicity. We don't have to go into that, Mrs. Parsons. We need your help now. We found out that your husband called a man named Kenneth Temple in San Francisco the night he disappeared. Oh? That name, Kenneth Temple, does it mean anything to you? No, I've never heard it before. Mr. Parsons never mentioned it to you? Well, I can't say for certain, but it's not familiar to me at the moment. Have you ever been to San Francisco? Yes. When? Twice. 
Going to and coming back from Hawaii two years ago. Has Mr. Parsons ever been in San Francisco? He was on the same trip. This name, Temple, maybe it was someone you met while you were there. No, I don't recall meeting anyone there at all. Sergeant. Yes? All this has been quite upsetting, quite nerve-wracking, really. I don't know what progress you people are making, but I do wish it would all be handled soon. Excuse me, please. Sure. This isn't getting us very far. I don't get it. Hello? Who? Oh, 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 yes, operator, just a moment. It's for you, Sergeant. Oh, thanks. Probably San Francisco operator. Thank you. This is Sergeant Engel. Yes? Oh, hello, Mr. Temple. This is Sergeant Engel, Missing Persons Division, Los Angeles Police. Uh, we're trying to locate a man named David Parsons. Huh? All right. He's there now. Huh? He's going to put him on. David? Well, let me talk to him. Uh, just a minute. Is that an extension? Oh, yes. Please. I'll get it. Let me talk. Hold it a minute. Mr. Parsons? I've been pretty worried about you. Yes. Yes, she's all right. She's right here. Okay, Mrs. Parsons. Here, take it. David? How are you? Oh, it's so good to hear your voice, David. When are you coming home? Your father and I have been... I read about it in the papers. Now, I want you to listen to me, Dorothy. Dad's going to ask you, so listen. But... Listen to me. I'm listening, David. Do you remember all the times that I've asked you to talk to me? The times during these years when I've wanted companionship, warmth, a, a home that was lived in. Each time I asked for these things, you were always too busy, too taken up with things outside my life. Do you remember all that? Oh, yes, yes, David, I remember all that. Well, this is the end of you and me. But your father... It's he... the end of father and me, too, Dorothy. You tell him that. He probably won't believe it, but you tell him the merger's all his. He'll have to get another figurehead. He'd be so angry. Dorothy, what I'm trying to say is his anger doesn't worry me anymore. Oh, what about me? <laughs> I never worried you. But, David... I'm going away. A long sea voyage with Temple. You don't remember him, but he was a sailor I used to talk to aboard ship when we went to Hawaii. He has a boat now. I'm shipping on it. Well, when will you be back? I won't be back. David! Now, will you put that police officer on? Hello, Mr. Parsons. Uh, who is that? My name is Johnny Dollar. I've been trying to find you for two weeks. I'm an insurance investigator. Oh. I found out quite a lot about you. I want to make sure I'm talking to the right man. I won't answer a lot of questions. Just one. It's not even a question. Calicles. Oh. Mean anything? I don't know who you are. I didn't even get your name, but you did find out. <laughs> if there were a man who had sufficient force, he would shake off and break through and escape from all this. He would trample underfoot all our formulas and spells and charms and all our laws which are against nature. The slave would rise in rebellion and be Lord Oros. So far as the police were concerned, there was nothing more to do. So far as the insurance company's concerned, we'll have to sit on a $100,000 bond and hope that David Parsons will return to his life in Los Angeles when he gets whatever it is out of his system. Expense account total, $1,100.59. Remarks? Just Mrs. Parsons, to me. She asked why he never talked about this to her. I told her he did. No one ever listened. She didn't understand that either. 
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's intriguing story. Next week, one of the most heartless, most vicious rackets an insurance investigator ever had to face. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Virginia Gregg, Harry Bartell, Lillian Bayef, Will Wright, Gene Bates, Carlton Young, Lawrence Dobkin, Bert Holland, Marvin Miller, and Herb Vigran. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. Well, first things first, some listeners may have wondered about the intro, and I will confirm that yes, I was impersonated, and here's the young man who did it. Hi, Adam. My name is Lucas. I live in Centennial, Colorado. I'm eight years old, and I'm a really big fan of your podcast. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed the podcast, and I appreciated the impersonation. I actually received this from Lucas's father, Ray, back in June, and he said I could use it as I would. I decided to hold on to it until we came to an episode that was actually set in Los Angeles. And I also decided to play it without any explanation at the start, because all the pertinent information is in the show notes, and this program was from May 2nd through the 4th of 1956. And so I thought this was the best way to play Lucas's introduction without being too extraneous. 
Now, as to the episode itself, one thing you have to appreciate about this era is the literacy of the writers of Johnny Dollar. They had a knowledge of the classics, the Bible, and history that I don't see reflected in most of our modern writing. Yet they managed to pull out ideas and themes that were relevant to the story and never shot over the audience's head as some radio writers could. What I think resonates with many people either listening in 1956 or today is the idea of living a life that someone else set out for you that's not really who you are or who you want to be, and continuing as long as you can, living to keep others happy until you reach a breaking point and then you're done. Now, whether how he chose to respond to this was the right thing is another matter altogether, but you can definitely relate to where he's coming from. The confrontations between Johnny and Parsons Sr. were delicious. Parsons' arrogance and expectation that Johnny would jump at his every whim were met with Johnny's calm confidence and refusal to put up with Parsons' nonsense or be intimidated by his threats. The only time that Parsons got the better of Johnny was their final uh, conversation and that was because of the confirmation of the type of person that Parson was. Someone who viewed people as nothing more than tools to be manipulated to serve his ends. Parsons is the type of villain that Johnny Dollar writers love to hate. The domineering tyrant who tries to run the lives of others. What is it about that sort of character that makes him the perfect foil for Johnny? I think it may be... Uh, the writing coming from the post-war perspective and the views of democracy. In a democratic society, no one should be able to control another adult to the degree these characters do. Other than criminal methods, the way these characters manage to rule others is through bullying and threats, or as we saw a few weeks ago in the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscope matter, through manipulation. This sort of deprivation of freedom is something that Johnny has to fight. He calls it out and all the hypocrisy and dysfunction it brings. His conversation with Mrs. Parsons in episode 3 was pure fire, with the line that she talked like she was Parsons Jr.'s drugstore clerk rather than his wife. Johnny's nightmare in episode 3 was poignant. His statement that you never get used to the sort of tragedies he encounters reflects why his character is so loved. Johnny faces a lot of evil, sickening, and heartbreaking things, but never gives into a cynical attitude and holds on to his humanity and decency regardless of the pain that comes with that. I also love the sister's line. It was simple but beautiful. The world becomes very heavy sometimes. I don't think we discuss enough or appreciate enough how talented the company of actors surrounding Bob Bailey was. Virginia Gregg gets some credit. But really, each one of these recurring actors were immensely talented and capable of delivering powerful performances. And I think Harry Bartell in episode three just breaks your heart in the scene where Eckers explains that the fake Mrs. Parsons 
had been his fiancée. Finally, I do want to note that this was based on a 1953 John Lund script, The Brisbane Fraud Matter. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we go to YouTube where a listener writes regarding the first two episodes of the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscope matter. For me, the comedy just isn't working at all. Cringe level. In fact, if there's anybody out there who is tuning into Johnny Dollar for the first time, this is not a typical episode, and please don't judge the series based on what you just heard. Harry is the most annoying character we've heard so far. I guess it will take a darker turn on Friday and we can get back on track. Well, it did take the darker turn on Friday. It is interesting that I've had a couple of negative comments on Harry Bransom, which wasn't something that I recall hearing the first time we went through the series. Harry is definitely a unique character. He's very fastidious, cautious, uh, detail-oriented, and sometimes struggles to get to the point. I've always enjoyed him, and he is a recurring character both in the serials and later on in the half-hour stories. And, of course, he's also played by Harry Bartell, who gave such a good dramatic performance in episode three of this story. But it's interesting to hear different perspectives as we go through the series for a second time. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Emily. Emily's been one of our Patreon supporters since February of 2021, currently supporting the podcast at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Emily. And you can join our Patreon supporters at patreon.greatdetectives.net for as little as $2 per month. But that will do it for today. If you are enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But join us back here tomorrow for Dragnet, where... No, gentlemen. I did not kill Helen Corday. You gave her singing lessons, Mr. Ostrander. You knew her pretty well? Yes, I gave her voice coaching for about a year and a half. Helen showed a little promise. Not a great voice, a bad vibrato. You knew her pretty well. Why do you say that? Mr. Ostrander, didn't you used to take her out once in a while? No. No, I didn't know Helen socially at all. We know you had dates with her. That's not true. Only times I saw her was when she came here to the studio for lessons. You better tell the truth, Mr. Ostrander. We can prove that you've been out with her. Afraid of the publicity, is that it? Certainly that's it. I have a successful business here. I've spent years building it. Anything like this would ruin me. Then you have been out with her. Only a few times. Nothing serious. I had nothing to do with her murder. Now, that's the truth. Don't you know that withholding information about a thing like this can go kind of hard for you? Yes, I know that. What else could I do? Mr. Ostrander, somewhere in this city right now, there's a guy who beat a young girl to death. He crushed her skull with a piece of steel pipe. We need every bit of information we can get to track him down. I know that, sir. You could have come to us. We wouldn't run to the newspapers with it. If the information's confidential, that's the way we treat it. Most of the time, it's the people who run to the newspapers first. Then they come to us. That's right, Mr. Ostrander. People are their own press agents. Sergeant, I'd like to know what right you have to invade my privacy and lecture me on my civic duty. All right, I'll tell you what right, Ostrander. We want the man who murdered Helen Corday. I got as much right as he had at 1214 this morning. 
hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.